0: This morning I'm going to be doing the message on the Ten Commandments, and we are up to commandment number one. So if if you've been with us through this series, I've been going backwards. This has been a countdown. So we started at commandment number ten. Today we are on commandment number one. And and maybe you're thinking, oh, the first commandment, good, we're done. I've got one more coming, all right? So there will be a, a, a bonus, a reprise next week, talking about the way that Jesus summarized the commandments. So one more message coming after this. But today, the final one of the Ten Commandments, as we look at commandment number one. Options. We, we are people who love options. We love variety, right? I, I go to the grocery store and I look at all the options out there of, of things to buy for food, and sometimes it's even overwhelming. Take, for instance, cat food. Do you know how many varieties of cat food there are out there? I mean, the 75 different flavors in all those little cans, and, and I can't help but wonder, does my cat care? Does the cat even know? I, I'm not sure the cat even knows the difference one to the next, but all those options are out there. And why? Why are they out there? Because they know that I'm going to stand in front and can't decide, so what do I do? Let's get them all, right? They know what they're doing. Because we love the options and we just want them all. Can we just have them all that way? You know, there was, a, there was a time when our family, when my kids were younger, our family would camp at the conference grounds every summer. One of those things that you do when you camp at the conference grounds is you go to the ice cream shop at night, right? And, and I would get my, you got all the flavors there, but it's options. I can't choose. So I would tell the person doing the scoop and I want a double scoop. That one and that one, same cone, Right? because I want them both, I want them all. We love our options. When I go out for breakfast at a restaurant, and sometimes those breakfast platters, you know, what do you want, bacon or sausage? Two, two strips of bacon or two sausages? My answer is always the same, one of each. I want, Give me the options. Why can't I have it all? That's just sort of the way we are, that, that we love our options, and sometimes when we can't choose, it's all of the above. Let, let's take it. So today we're looking at the first commandment, the first commandment that talks about God saying, you shall have no other gods before me. You know what, sometimes we look at that commandment and we read those words and we think, all right, but, I mean, I, I've got that one checked off because, hey, look, I'm, here I am, I'm in church today, so, right, I'm, I'm not turning away from God, but when you look at the stories of Old Testament Israel over and over again, what what you see in those stories is you see these examples of Israel not turning away and rejecting God, but pulling in other gods alongside. Looking at the options and saying, all of the above. You know, we're not going to tear down the temple We're not going to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. We're not going to get rid of our our worship that we do, but let's just take these others in as well. Because why can't we have it all? So this first commandment talks about that in particular. Not necessarily rejecting and walking away from God, but what it is that we pull into our lives alongside of God together with God. So today to do that, I'm going to read a passage that comes from Exodus. This is from Exodus chapter 33, and then I will read a few verses that come from chapter 34 as well. This is a conversation that takes place between Moses and God. So Exodus 33, I'm beginning at verse 12. It says this, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. Then moving ahead just a few verses into chapter 34, where this scene takes place. So chapter 34, beginning at verse 5. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we look at this today, we see this example of God coming to Moses and Moses responding. And we look at that in ways that that help us maybe to understand a little bit of what it means to worship God alone. Let's pull that together and see how this, this scene, this conversation between God and Moses brings us to that place of of seeing something about what it means to have no one else alongside of God but God alone. All right, a little bit of background here first. Background to, to this chapter, things that I didn't read. So if, if you were to back up to the start of chapter 33, it, it begins with a conversation where God is addressing Moses and telling Moses, all right, you know what? I'm done with you. you, you I'm done with you, and this is because of all of the sin that has happened there. Prior to chapter 33, this is the part of Exodus where Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai all alone, and he receives the Ten Commandments from God. But while he's up there, while he's on the mountain, all of the Israelite people that are down at the base of the mountain, at the foot of the mountain, they begin to wonder, where did Moses go, and who is this God anyway? And, and they convince Aaron, Moses' brother, to, to make them an idol, a golden calf. And they bow down and they worship this golden calf. And Moses then comes down from the mountain and he sees all of the Israelite people worshiping this idol and he throws the stone tablets down and they shatter, right? And he has to go back and get other ones then. That whole scene takes place before this. That's what's happened. So when Moses goes back up onto the mountain and then he's having this conversation with God, that's where God says, you know what? I'm done with you guys. You can just go, you know, go to the promised land, but I'm just staying behind. The deal is off. And that's where this picks up then, where this conversation that we started with, verse 12, where Moses says, well, no, 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 wait, wait. You can't do that. You have to go with us. You have to be with us when we go from here. In fact, if if you're not going to go with us, then don't send us from here. Don't even send us to the promised land, because We're going to stay wherever you are. That's more important to us, to be where you are. That's what happens then in this chapter as it comes to that. Then there's this section in verses 7 through 11 that talks about uh, the tent of meeting. So, yep, the, the Israelites are all camped at the bottom of, of the mountain there, and they've got their camp all set up. And just outside of the camp is a, a certain tent they set up that they called the Tent of Meeting. And this is where Moses would go to meet with God, that God's presence would be there. Right? So, so there's something that's already built into this where God's presence is with the Israelites, and they've set that up in this Tent of Meeting that they have there. It may seem like it detracts from the story a little bit, Right? You've got this scene where the Israelites commit this horrible sin that God tells Moses, that's it, I'm done with you. And then you've got this little scene in the middle of tent of meeting, whatever that's about, and then you pick up the conversation again where Moses goes back to God and says, wait, 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 rethink this. You have to go with us. But they're all connected. There's a reason why these stories all line up the way that they do. Because they're all focused in some way on the presence of God. That God's presence is essential. And so what we see taking place in this conversation that we read today, this is something of a covenant renewal. That God is taking the covenant, the covenant that he originally made with Abraham so long ago, That he would be the God of all of Abraham's descendants of the Israelites. And God is renewing that covenant. He's reaffirming that in this conversation back and forth with Moses. That he's saying, all right, my presence will remain with you. I will go with you. That's the background that runs into this. So now then, consider what it is that Moses is really asking. What is Moses really after? in this passage, when he talks about God going with them. There's a few things that pull through on this that could help us. First of all, some of it goes around the pronoun, the singular pronoun, you. When when we read in this passage that God sends them from this place, this is what he says about it, that the Lord says, this is from verse 14, the Lord replied, replied to Moses, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. That you is a singular you. God is talking to Moses, to Moses alone. Moses, it's just me and you now. All right, fine. Moses, I won't leave you. It's just the two of us. That's where that goes. We don't necessarily catch that in English. Well, okay, unless you're from Texas, right? Where, I mean, you is a singular, but y'all is two people or all y'all is three people or more, right? Or you're from the south side of Chicago, where you is one person, but you is two people, and you skies is three or more people, right? Hebrew is like that, that, that you have these different words for you for either just one person or two people or three or more people. Well, this is the singular right here, that God is saying to Moses, all right, fine, Moses, I'm with you, just you. Nobody else. They're gone. That's what Moses is protesting here. To say that's not enough. Maybe that doesn't strike us so odd because, you know what, I mean, if if you're from this country, if you're in America, everything is about you, me, individual. That we are individualistic people. So of course we, we sort of have built into the way that we have made our Christian religion something of an individual relationship with God. It's just me and God, me and Jesus. So some of that maybe doesn't strike us as odd, but but recognize that for people of the Bible or people from other cultures who are not American, that's profoundly different from their understanding. What do you mean God and just you? That's not right. That's not how it should be, and, and Moses is calling that out. He's saying, whoa, 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 what do, you, what do you mean just me and you, God? That can't be. There's no such thing as that. Because unless it's, unless it's God and us, then it might as well be nothing at all. So don't even send from here unless it's going to be us, not just me, that's where Moses is at with this. Striking that piece where he says, but it, it's not enough. It's not enough that, you know what, I just have a relationship with you. It's not enough that it's just me and God. But there's a we together part of this thing that has to be. There has to be an us together with God. Otherwise, there might as well not be just a me and God. The us is important to this. Moses is calling that out here. That's what he's asking God to do. He's saying, no, no, don't make it just about me and you, God. Make it about us and you. Then there's one other detail in this passage, and it's the Hebrew word penai. Penai is translated as, it literally means face, but it also translates from Hebrew as presence, that those two mean the same thing. And you know what? That word is all over in this passage that we read today. Look back through that and read all the different places where it says either face or presence because those are the same word, at least in the Hebrew language. They're talking about the same thing. Face and presence means the same thing, but, but it means something in particular when we talk about presence and what presence means. It means something particular in the way that we think about how God is present. You see, Moses is insisting here on more than just God to be somewhere around the picture. More than God to just be aware of what's happening, as though from a distance, but no, he's insisting we need your presence, your face, face to face, because he's insisting that God be active and evident in the lives of the people of Israel and in the lives of everyone that they come in contact with, that interact with them, that they meet. You know how it is, and, and sometimes this takes place in my home too, that my, my kids will come into the room and they'll start talking to me, but I've got earbuds in or I'm, I'm texting or trying to finish an email or reading the paper or the ball game's on TV or something like that. All right, I'm present, I'm in the room with them, they're talking, but you know what? I'm distracted, aren't I? I I'm not giving them my full, complete, undivided attention. Penai, presence, face, is that. Full, complete, undivided attention. It's that kind of presence. Moses is saying, you know what? It's not enough that you just keep tabs on where we're at. It's not enough that you just sort of check in from time to time. It's not enough that you're doing a hundred other things alongside of, and by the way, Israel, your people too. God, we need your full, complete, undivided attention. That's what we need. That's the presence of God that Moses is asking for. In fact, insisting for that God give them, that kind of presence. And you know the difference it makes. I I think we've experienced some of that from time to time. You know what it's like when you've got a friend or a family member or somewhere in that, maybe that time of extra need or that time when you're really needing that connection. You know what it's like to be with someone who puts all the other things down and says, all right, I'm here just with you right now that you have my complete undivided attention. That kind of presence, it means something. It makes a difference. It's more than just being aware of what's happening. It's more than just a passive going along. But it's connected and it's active. That's what Moses is after here. That's what he's asking God to do. So how does that come forward for us? Right? Let, let's make a few connections here. I began by talking about the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And then I, yeah, now we're off on this trail talking about the presence of God and what does that mean? Let's bring some of this together. What does the presence of God, the panai, active, undivided, attention kind of presence with God have to do with the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Well, it has to do something with that covenant that's being renewed. The the covenant that's being renewed in this conversation, a covenant that goes all the way back to the covenant that was first made with Abraham. This comes from Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, God says this to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. A blessing that God gives to Abraham. A blessing that comes to Abraham through God's penai, presence, presence. Face to face, the blessing of God is received by the presence of God. Not just the nearness or the association with God, but the active presence of God. And it's a blessing that's received for Abraham and all of his descendants, that his children, the nation of Israel, carries that on. And it's a blessing that is given where God gives. And this blessing that I'm giving to you is a blessing that will be for all people in all the world, all the nations, everyone will receive this. A a blessing that, okay, maybe when we think about blessings, maybe we start by thinking about things like, well, you know, I I want... I want money or good health or, or any of those things that maybe we consider blessings. But Moses, Abraham, they're after something deeper. Something more than that. The blessing here is a blessing of God's presence. That I want to be near where you are. And I want your undivided attention. And I want to live my life in a way where we are face to face. So that God, whatever you do, God, wherever you go, God, whatever you're up to, let me be a part of that too. Let me be a part of what you're doing. That's the blessing that God is giving. That God says, all right, I will count you as one of my own. I will count you as one of my family, one of my own sons and daughters. And what I'm doing, where I'm going, what I'm up to, You can be a part of it. I will make you a part of it. That's the covenant that God gives. That's the covenant that then is fulfilled in Jesus. And through Jesus, one of Abraham's lineage, through Jesus, you and I are now a part of that same covenant. That presence of God, that where God goes, what God is up to, what God is doing, we... Can be a part of that too. A part of God's family that way. Moses knew that this presence with God was essential for that covenant to happen, for that to take place. So why he's asking this? Why is, why is Moses asking for this kind of presence? And, and what does this have to do with us then? You see, God, God's presence then, as we read the conclusion of that story, it passes in front of Moses, and, and it's an example of that covenant renewal. That covenant renewal, not just with Moses, but with Israel. And then it carries on through the story of the Bible to where it goes through Jesus Christ to every single one of us. That we now share that face to face presence with God. And it comes a little differently now, a little differently. You know, all of this that took place in the story up to going to Mount Sinai, remember that little piece about the tent of meeting, that God's presence was there in the tent? Everything up to that point, God was present with Israel, but look at the detail of the story. God's presence with Israel was always just outside. Just outside. So when they left Egypt, you know that whole story, the, the Red Sea parts, and they go through, and they're following either the cloud or the pillar of fire, They're following God there. When they get to Mount Sinai, God's presence comes down on the mountain, but only Moses can go up there. None of the people can go. When Moses wants to meet with God, he goes to this tent of meeting that's outside of the camp. That they go outside. But all of that takes place up to Mount Sinai, after Mount Sinai, after the Ten Commandments, after God renews his covenant, that changes. No longer is God's presence somewhere on the outside, but now they move it to the middle. Because part of that whole thing that happens at Mount Sinai, they get the instructions for building the tabernacle, right? That tent that was their temple that they took around in the desert, which eventually would be replaced by the temple in Jerusalem. But that tabernacle, the instructions were, you know what, when you set that up, put it in the middle of the camp. And then all of the tribes of Israel camp around that. And the presence of God then would be in that tabernacle. That God's presence, his penai, moved. It moved from being somewhere alongside in front of God's people to the center, the middle of God's people. That's a significant detail. A significant detail in how when God renews this covenant relationship with his people, that he renews it in a way that changes where he is present with his people. That he's looking to something new now, something different. I'm moving from the outside to the inside, to the very center. We, the people in the church today who live in this time after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit has come upon the church, that we are in the center. That God's presence, his penai, is in the middle, the center of where we're at, of who we are, of what God is calling us to be, and his covenant relationship with us. How does that make a difference? In, in this whole business of commandments, have no other God before me. That first commandment, that first commandment that sort of starts off that whole list, right, of, of all these Ten Commandments. You know, we've, we've looked at, in some ways, we looked at commandments and we've looked at them in different ways. And sometimes we see them, I think, much like the Old Testament Israelites would have saw them. They, uh, these are boundaries. These are rules, right? The, the, this is the perimeter. This is the fence. You want to live in the will of God? Here's where the boundaries are. Here's the markers. You stay inside of this, and you're good. Follow these commandments, stay in the border, stay in the rules, you're good. But something in Jesus moves, changes. I know that there's... There's some of our women here on Thursday nights are, are doing a Bible study that's going through the book of Galatians. Galatians is one of those books in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul writes all about freedom. Right, That's the theme of Galatians. We are free in Christ. There's not boundaries. There's not borders. There's not fences. These commandments that we think of it as being that boundary, that rule, that border, but, but Paul says, no, 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 don't think of it like that. Don't think of it like that. Commandments aren't meant to mark out the boundaries and the fences and the borders and the rules. It's not about the perimeter, but now commandments are about the center. Don't think of these commandments then as a way to say, how do I stay within the boundary? But think of these commandments then as a way of proximity to the center. How can I live my life in a way that's as close to the center of living with God as I can possibly be? How can I live in a way that moves and changes who I am and the way that I live by God's Holy Spirit working through me that moves me closer and closer and closer to the center? Because God in His penai, His presence, His face has placed himself at the center, in the middle. And his will for our lives, then, given to us through these commandments, is one that doesn't just say, you know what, here's the fence, and you can go out to the fence, but stay within it. No, it's it's one that turns our attention and our focus back to the middle, the center. That we then live as people who through the Holy Spirit can find our proximity in God. That we live close to the center. That God, through Jesus, has freed us to do that. His commandments are no longer a cage to hold us in. But now they're a compass to point us. Point us to life in God, and we have that freedom to do that through Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your Word. Thank you that through your Word that you uh, you show us how it is that you desire for us to live. And God, we we confess we're sorry about the times when we have made this about following rules and staying inside of a boundary. And we've lost our sight on the center. We've lost our proximity to you, to your grace, to the life that you have freed us to live in you. So Lord, we pray today. We pray today that uh, as we consider what these commandments mean for our lives, all the ways that we've maybe pulled other things alongside of you to be our God, return our vision to you alone. That you may be the center of our lives and that we may see you in all that you've called us to be and in all that you've called us to do. Help us to do that for your honor and glory. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand? I encourage you to make this song your prayer to the Lord this morning.